0: Did you notice notice... that actually Jesus didn't talk in that? This is the the intro. And if this is all new to you, if you're here today just looking into church, well, I'm really pleased you came, because I'm so excited to be able to show you today that the Bible has real answers. Now, it sold more copies than any other book in the history of printing. You'd hope it probably does have real answers. Well, we're going to see that it has. And we're going to see, as an intro, without Jesus saying one word. Now, let me tell you a story about the power of the Word, specifically about the power of John chapter 1. We're going to go back 11 years ago. What changed my life? What took me from that Christian like the Tesla that went to church but expected to drain out during the week? Well, I got arranged a couple of dinners, I arranged for a friend of mine, Professor John Lennox, the man who takes on Richard Dawkins, that well-known atheist, to come into the city and to meet Europe's most powerful insurance broker. And it was a fantastic dinner to start with, but it's very quickly turned into like a mismatch finals at Wimbledon. You see, on one side, my non-Christian friend loved shooting the ball over the net with an intellectual question. And the good professor from Oxford absolutely batted the ball. He aced it straight back over the net with a biblical answer. But the problem was my friend from the city had never read the Bible. So he didn't understand the answer. But he intellectually loved the conversation. So he shot another question. Three and a half hours later, we came to the end of dinner one. And they asked for dinner two. So how, we came back and we did it all again. Three and a half hours later, we came to a halt. Seven hours of intellectually interesting debate. The intellectual interest was enormous, but the biblical ignorance was even greater. And I found myself getting out my handkerchief, and effectively, I think this one's white. It's not white, it's red. I won't wave it. But I got out my white handkerchief, and I waved it, and I I said, I'm surrendering. And the two of them looked at me and said, what are you saying? I said, I don't want to do another one of these dinners. And my non-Christian friend looked at me and said, why? He said, I love it when you bring the good professor from Oxford University. I find this so intellectually stimulating. And I shot back, no, the truth is, my dear friend, for once I found a subject you know nothing about. You're biblically ignorant. Now, don't beat yourself up. Most of the population is biblically ignorant. But I can't see any point in having another dinner unless we ask the good professor back to, quote, open the Bible for you. Well, he was so shocked at my rudeness, he agreed to a third dinner. And back came the professor. And the professor brought, with no knowledge from me, he brought John 1. And he brought, actually, the first 31 verses. But in particular, he aimed the conversation at John 1, to 1-18. And the reason for that is it's unique. There's no other passage in the whole of the Bible that is like John 1, 1-18. In the city, we call it an executive summary. Everywhere else, you'd call it an overview. There's no other passage like it. And what I'm going to do today, using the word one-to-one behind me, I'm going to get up the pages of the books, and I'm going to take you through how that conversation went. So let's have a look. Let's see if this works. There we go. This is how the books start. This is the start of John 1, according to the books. So if you find, I hope you can read this behind me, but I'm literally going to have the conversation that is in the books. It's a skeletal conversation. So John's Gospel starts with an overview. It's a, unique, it's a unique passage in the whole of the Bible. So don't be surprised that it's going to need some unpacking. Now can you see, that's exactly what that yellow sticky says on the left hand side. So everything I'm saying, actually you could be up here giving this talk. John's Gospel starts with an overview. There's a lot in this section, so don't be surprised it's going to need some unpacking. Now, my friend in the city thought he knew that when we opened the Bible, he thought he knew what we were going to be looking at. He thought there was going to be baby Jesus. We were going to be in Bethlehem. There was going to be a very smelly stable and some even smellier shepherds. So it was a bit of a surprise when that didn't happen. So in the booklets, we've printed this. You might find this a surprising start. No angels, no Bethlehem, no stable, no baby Jesus, no wise men. Everything I said, you could say, it's in the books. So now we flip over, and here is the first five verses of John's Gospel. It's on the left-hand side. And my, my job, in the next couple of minutes, is to run you through what the right hand says. And in particular, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take you through exactly how that conversation went 11 years ago. So here's verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. Well, what an amazing beginning. Just look how often the phrase the word is used. John actually stresses twice. Once in this verse and then another time in verse 2. In the beginning was the word. Do you see it in verse 2? He was with God in the beginning. Well, here's what my friend said. Well, you don't really believe that there was a beginning, do you? Richard Dawkins doesn't believe there was a beginning. Well, on we went. It raises the question, what or who is the word? And verse 2, do you see how it starts? It starts with a he. He was with God in the beginning. And suddenly you could see my friend's cogs in the brain whirring. He said this, hang on a minute. You mean God is a person and not just an amorphous mass? Well, we got to verse 3. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. I could hear the cogs by this stage. They really were spinning. This is an outrageous claim. The maker of all creation is the word, including you and me. Well, when we got to verse 4, He had no words left. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And at that, my friend's jaw metaphorically hit the dining room table. You see, here are life's answers. The Bible has answers, and my friend had never been shown them before. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's, of course, why you're sitting in this church today. 2,000 years later, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Quite right. There are more Christians today than there have ever been. And by the way, as I share these notes, because you can see I've got the conversation. Can you see? All I need to do is ask my friend to read the left-hand side of the page and then I'm taking him through the right. And it's a skeletal conversation, exactly as was said before. It may well cause a discussion, that's great, we can stop and do that, or most people today are gobsmacked because they've never, ever looked. And I repeat what I said earlier. To a man, every person that I have shared this with in 11 years has said something like this. Why? Why has no one ever shown me this before? If you're a Christian here today... Is that not condemning of us all? See, we've all been sitting there like I did for 30-something years and thought, yes, we must take the gospel to our friends. But we didn't have a how. Here we've got a how. And the answers are so clear. So I may well add something as I go through this because the power of the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, is with me as I share this gospel. This is called the Great Commission taking the gospel to my friends through the word the word that never goes out empty so here's the kind of thing I might say when we get to verse five I say do you know what happened in China in the 50s do you know what uh, chairman Mao Zedong leading the Chinese people did at that time he kicked out all the missionaries and all the missionary societies thought that's a disaster we can cross China off the map No one's going to get converted now because there's no missionaries in China. Well, how wrong we were. Do you know why? Because the missionaries left behind their Bibles. And when we got access to China just over a decade ago, what we discovered was a living church that was based on what the word said. No fancy buildings, no robes, no uh, smelly incense going backwards and forwards. Not that kind of religion. Not religiosity, Christianity, based on the word. Now, I was in Australia recently, and I told that story in, in Australia, and a woman walked up to me afterwards, and she told me the following. She said, I'm so pleased you mentioned that. My family comes from China, and we got a part of one of those missionary Bibles in the 50s. And I'll tell you what we thought of it at the time. We felt the paper... And we thought, this is so luxurious. And we had a room that needed decorating. So we actually took the binder of what I now know was a gospel and we separated the pages and we used it as wallpaper. Because the paper was so luxurious. And as we stuck it on the wall, we were reading it. She went on to tell me she was the third generation of that family that have been converted by the Bible room. Isn't that fantastic? Because the word of God never goes out empty. Now listen, I get generation one because they hadn't stuck it on the wall yet. They could read both sides. But imagine generations two and three. They only had half the gospel. The other side was stuck to the wall. But the word works. It's a living word. It doesn't go out empty. Well, let's move on. Here, what we've got is that the word is the light for life. Increasingly, as I go around the world, because these notes have literally gone global, in China, the downloads are so great the government blocked the website. They're in, they're in Singapore, they're in the Philippines, they're in Siberia, they're in Poland, they're in Ukraine. You name it, they are there. The light of the world, the answer for life. But let's move on and actually take a look at what else chapter 1 says. So we're going to jump forward and we're going to look at verse 12. Can you see it in the middle of this page? Here's what it says. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. Just look at the awesome and unique gift for those who accept him. They're adopted into his family. The creator of the universe adopts you into his family. Imagine being adopted into the royal family. Now, he doesn't know I'm going to do this, but Daph, would you please come up here? Just imagine that I've got a letter from the Queen for Daph this morning. Now, the first bit you are going to believe. Daph, you've done nothing to deserve this. Thank you. <laughs> what the Queen says is Daph, Marion Jones... I have decided to adopt you. You are now, first time ever, Prince Daff. Please practice your royal wave to the people here. You've got now the keys to all the palaces, Prince Daff, and you've also got the Coots bank accounts. Please sit down. I think he deserves a round of applause, don't you? (laughs) Prince Daff. Look at the notes. There's nothing. That's nothing. For a start, don't you think that the Houses of Parliament would have a bit of a problem on Monday if they discovered the Queen, in her great old age, had issued a letter like that? I think they would. I think they'd say, oh my goodness, the poor old girl's lost it. We bet we've bet we got a constitution. It says that she can't adopt to create a new Prince Daft. She, even she, she doesn't have the authority. But what God says here is absolute authority. You can be Meghan Markle or Kate Middleton. This authority is greater than marrying into the royal family. You are adopted into the creator of the universe's family. That's absolute authority from Jesus to do that. No one can question it. The one who called the world into the world into being with his word, can, of course, adopt you into God's family. Staggering. Born of God. A child of God. Forever. Now tell me how permanent your worries are today. Now tell me what you think about this life, because do you realise this is about eternity, and you're just passing through. You see, this suit... The real me, well, I've been pouring expensive wine down it for years. I take it on holiday. I rub cream into it. I listen to my wife when she tells me to take my vitamins. I try and get the sleep. I do all the things that I'm supposed to do to keep me, this, going. And I'm losing. The day will come. When Elvis will have, sorry, the, the, my body will hit the floor, the, the suit will hit the floor, and Elvis will have exited the building. The real me, my soul, is not this. And you know that. If any of you have ever seen a dead person, you know that's true. It's not the suit that's hit the floor. It's their soul. And what we're told here is that their soul will be in heaven for eternity no wonder we can know a peace that passes all understanding now let's jump on let's have another look at what this says and because there's quite a lot on this page i'm just putting this up because it's too much for you to try and pluck it out of the page we're going to jump to verse 17 here's what jesus says in verse 17 sorry what what um, uh, john says in verse 17 not jesus for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So John the Gospel writer takes 17 verses in chapter 1 to actually explain that the word is Jesus. And he uses the language, not that the Jews were expecting. They were expecting a savior that was going to come full of power and might to cast out the Romans. No, no, no. No, Jesus comes in grace and truth. That's the language. Full of grace and truth. What have they had before? Law. You must not do this. You must not do that. You must not do that. And now, instead of what you must do or not do, we were going to learn it was all done. It's been done through Jesus' coming. He's come to die. And it doesn't matter how perfect you think you are going to be. It doesn't matter whether you're Mother Teresa. You can't do what Jesus did for you. Only his sacrifice is enough. Only he can give you God's riches at Christ's expense. And did you notice God's riches at Christ's expense? The first letter of every one of those words spells grace. So how to remember grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. And the truth Well, the truth is the truth. We're not on the Mark 9 version of the gospel today. 2,000 years later, we haven't needed to change a word. We're still reading exactly what God made to be committed to parchment 2,000 years ago by John. And it has been completely fulfilled. The law has been completely fulfilled. You've been released about what you must do because it has been done through Jesus. Well, let's move on and see what John the Baptist had to say. Let's jump forwards, and we're going to look at verse 23. John is speaking to the representatives of the government that have been sent out, and the synagogue have sent all the priesthood out. You must go and see this clear prophet. There's no doubt in any of the texts that everyone thought this was a prophet from God. So they're listening carefully to every word that he says. To be frank, the BBC would have been out there with their trucks. CNN would have been there. Sky News would have been out in the desert. They're all sitting around, all with their cameras on. That Sunday Times would have been full of, what does John the Baptist say next? And here's what John says in verse 23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. He's speaking to the spiritual and, and government leaders that have come out. He says this. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, to you and I, make straight for the way of the Lord. For them, oh my goodness me. He's just claimed what Isaiah 40 says make straight the way of the Lord. And we know exactly what that means in our time. What it means is there's going to be a triumph. Do you know what a triumph is? It's what an emperor or a king or a general had laid on when he came back from a victorious battle. He came back with camels and elephants and gold from where he'd captured something. And they would park up outside the city and they'd wait for the valley tops to be levelled and the, and the floor to be raised and a six-lane highway like the M1 to be built into the city so that up the mall... Could come the triumph. Victorious. Fantastic. Look at the conquering hero who has come. Our saviour has arrived. He's just won the battle. And what does John say? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. I'm shouting ahead to the city. Make ready. Make straight the way. For the lord you see if in those days you decided that jesus wasn't going to be your messiah you willfully ignored what the prophet said you willfully decided not to listen to what he said he's saying a voice of one calling in the wilderness is giving this in, this enormously powerful picture That the victorious saviour of the land, a king, the emperor, actually the Messiah you've been waiting over a thousand years to see, is arriving. Make straight the way for the Lord. Only one person could he be talking about. The Messiah. The Lord of heaven and earth. The Son of God. The one the Jews have been waiting for. Don't believe me? Well, let's jump forward again. Here, if you can read it, is um, actually verses 26 and 27. And John the Baptist goes on. Here's what he says. I baptize with water, which everyone knew at the time. Oh, yes, well, if you were called to baptism with water, you were called to repent. You were, t- you were, t- you were called forward to change your life, to leave your sins behind. I'm sorry for the way I've lived. I've, I've decided to go forward for repentance so that when I come up out of the water, I've left all my dirt behind. And he says this, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. And then he says something staggering. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Now look, back in that day, you gave in your house the lowest job was the stinkiest job. And when your friends came to visit your house in a land of open, dusty streets, animals roaming, open sewers, and you were wearing open-toed sandals, guess what state your feet were in when you arrived at your friend's house? It wasn't the case of, would you mind leaving your shoes there? You need a wash. So you gave the lowest job to the person who took your friends into the corner and they washed your feet. John the Baptist... The great prophet, you've all decided, he's the one sent from God. There's no question about it. The government representatives are here. The equivalent of the television companies are here. The priesthood are all here. They're all hanging on what he says. And here's what he says. I'm not even worthy to start the job that is such a stinky job. I can't even start to undo the straps on this man's feet. Let alone wash his feet. Who is he talking about? Well, there would have been a, (gasps) when he said it. Because who else can it be but the Messiah? The one who he's just said. The mountaintops will have been leveled. The valley floors will have been raised. Because the Messiah is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the straps do you see do you see they're hearing something which is absolutely crystal clear only one person could be that great the promised savior so longed for the son of god let's jump again let's go forward and let's look at verse 29 verse 29 the next day john saw jesus coming towards him and he said this look Look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, for a start, what's he saying? The Lamb of God. In other words, when he points to Jesus, he immediately links him to the sacrificial lamb from the Passover festival. He's saying Jesus has come to die. Jesus hasn't said anything yet. Not a word. And as soon as he's seen, what does the great prophet say? He points to him and says, there he is. That's the one he's come to die. The ultimate sacrifice. Here's what the notes say. John gives Jesus a unique title, the Lamb of God. Now, the key annual festival for the Jews is Passover. It's like Christmas or Easter. On Passover night, the angel of death passed through the land of Egypt and killed the firstborn of every household because Pharaoh would not let the Israelites leave. The Jews were told of only one escape from this judgment. The blood of an innocent, spotless lamb was to be sprinkled around the doorpost, the lamb that had lived with the family in the house for at least four days, so that particularly the eldest son bonded with that lamb and therefore knew that the lamb died in his place so the special title that john shouts out when he sees jesus is a reminder of the passover sacrifice that is going to save the jews do you see but john goes further the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the jews no 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 the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world He's come for us all. Finally let me jump forward. To, uh, to verse 34. Here's what John says. I have seen. And I testify. That this is. God's chosen one. And there's no doubt there is there. He's absolutely. Categorically clear. The phrasing could not be even sharper. I have seen and I testify. John is telling us. I was there, this is the Messiah. It's God's chosen one. The Son of God has come. To do what? To die. To die, to take the penalty of my sin and your sin. To get us right with God so that we can be adopted into his family for eternity. Now this life, well it's that in relation to what's to come. And by the way, that peace which passes all understanding, well, it started now. Because once I've knelt at the foot of the cross, I have been adopted into that family. And I know God's presence in me through the power of his Holy Spirit. The Savior of the world has come. He's available. It's available now. And what happens when we share this gospel? Well, in the 11 years that I've had the word one-to-one, in some form or another, in particular in the last four years since we published these books, why? Why has no one ever shown me this before? And it's not just my friend saying that. As I said before, this has gone global. Anyone from above the age of 11 has been using these notes. Staggering. One woman, I was telling the story yesterday, one woman, 93, is in bed She has carers, and she says the same to every new carer. She gets the notes, and she says to the new carer, excuse me, dear, please could you read this to me? She's currently got a Buddhist nurse absolutely hooked on what comes next in the Gospel of John. Because once you start reading the Gospel, it's staggering. It leads one verse to the next. How does it work? Well, it actually reverses what we do in church. You see, today in particular, we had to sit through a great long reading of 34 verses. I'm terribly sorry that I made you sit through such a long reading. Now, the people that I am seeing with these books would have glazed over by line two or three because they're not used to hearing the word of God. So what do the books do? Well, actually, they break down the word into just a few verses, as I've done here today. Often it may be just one verse, like we looked at earlier on. And then what it's raised, exactly as we've described to you, is what does that verse actually raise? And how do we answer what that verse raises? It literally is socially acceptable. And by the way, did you notice that every single page is denim blue? Because you can be a prince or a prisoner and you can feel comfortable in your jeans. So every page is dead in blue to make you feel comfortable as you go through the gospel. It's completely accessible. And you don't need your Bible out alongside it. Because as I just showed you in relation to the story of the Passover. Anything that we needed from Isaiah or from the books of the Old Testament. Has been lifted and plopped into the books. It's all here. The passage is at the end, by the way. So here is John 1, 1 to 18. It sits at the end of episode one. And we call them episodes because to your friend who's not a Christian, this is like a box set. They don't know what it's going to say next. So we put it at the end so that after they've gone through each individual verse, they can add them all together and see the passage and read it in one go. And now they understand it. A discussion may well follow. Or it may well be that you sit there and your friend is just stunned by what the word says. So if you would call yourself a Christian today, please go get a set. No one's making any money off this. This is a subsidized ministry. We have to raise money to get the books out as cheaply as we possibly can. No one's making money. You'll spend more money on the coffee than you will on getting hold of the gospel in this format. John wrote in four sections and therefore you get the books in the four sections that he wrote. You get it in twos. There's two book ones, two book twos and two book threes. Chapters one to four are the yellow ones and that's what you need to start. When you finish those, you go and get chapters 5 to 10, which is the second section of John's gospel. They're green. And then you get 11 to 17 when you're ready for it. And finally, you get the blues, which are chapters 18 to 21. They literally follow the four sections that John wrote in. Please think about doing this. Don't let your faith be just about you. See, I look back, and as a mature Christian, I'm afraid I think that's what had happened. My faith had become about me. I was like the guy that had discovered the cure for cancer. I'd taken the cure. I'd been cured. I was very grateful for having been cured. But the reality, well, really, I was keeping it to myself. And that's a horrendous picture for the world to see. And no wonder the world turns around and says, why, why has no one ever shown me this before? My prayer is what I hope you will pray, that you might ask at least two people in the next 10 days to have a coffee. Do you know what we've discovered around the world as over 50,000 of these books have gone out, and the number is multiplying absolutely extraordinarily because so many also go out for free on the internet for places that can't get the books. Do you know what we now know? One in five of the people that you will ask will say yes. One in five. Now, it's an average. It may be like I was in catering the other day. It was the first person this woman asked said yes. Or it might be you're the the tenth person that you ask says yes. But can I just assure you, the reason the person will say yes is because God has worked in their heart to say yes. It won't be any magic words that you say. You don't have to be a demented insurance executive to do this. This is going out by all people. I heard the other day, a 13-year-old boy got this at his youth group. His life has been so dramatically changed, his parents are now sitting with him for him to take them through the word one-to-one, to to hear God's word. How do you ask? Well, try something along these lines. Why don't you say to your friend, haven't you always thought that one day you'd look at this book that sold more copies than any other? You know it's called the Bible. It's sold more copies than any other book in the history of printing. Wouldn't you expect that it's probably got some good stuff in it? Well, I've got these great notes that take just one book of the Bible. It happens to start with an overview. It's only 18 verses. Can I please show you those 18 verses with these great notes, which, by the way, are a global phenomenon. They're an internet phenomenon. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? All I'll say to you when I've finished is, did you enjoy that? Would you like to meet again? And I say those things very carefully. Did you notice I didn't mention Jesus? Why did I not mention Jesus? Because generally people are not thinking about Jesus today. Did I mention about going to church? No, I didn't mention about going to church because generally people are not thinking about going to church. But they do think about the fact that the Bible has sold more copies than any other book and they do expect that it's probably got some good stuff in it. So that's what I said. And then do you notice what I said before they said yes? I told them how it would end. See, it's not a course. It's just the gospel with some good notes from William Taylor up in the city of London. That's all it is. It's the gospel. So all I'm saying is, all I'll say to you is, did you enjoy that? Would you like to meet again? And I promise you what happens is that that will be a question, the the two questions that you won't need to ask too often because very quickly people say to me, Richard, that's amazing. When can I see you next? So don't be surprised when that happens. Our Savior is alive. The Spirit is at work. Brothers and sisters, it's time that we didn't just come to church to be plugged into the spiritual mains. It's time that we actually went and did exactly what that says. People need to hear of Jesus. Now you can go out and chat about it, which is what I did for years. Or you can go out with the power of the living Word, empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't go out empty. Which do you think they're going to remember? You see, let me tell you the story about one, just one friend of mine. It took him fifteen months of meeting with me to actually go through the, all of the books because we didn't manage to meet more than once every three weeks. Well, that's fine. God knew exactly what he was doing with Martin, and that's what Martin needed. That was the length of time he needed to go through it. And one day, Martin got hold of me and said, Richard, I need to see you. And when he sat down, he had a smile all over his face. He said, Richard, I've knelt at the foot of the cross. I now know a peace that passes all understanding. I've become a Christian. I said, Martin, what took you there? And he said instantly, he said, well, it was nothing you said. 15 months I'd met with him. It's nothing you said, Richard. And he said, it gets worse than that, I'm afraid, Richard. I couldn't get out of my mind what John said in John 1. In the beginning was the word. He said, I thought, Richard Dawkins, you're an idiot. There has to have been a beginning. And then everything that John said, not you, Richard, everything that John said was the word. Who was that word? What had he come to do? how he actually had come to die on the cross for me, how he was raised from the dead, how he has now gone to heaven and can offer me a living relationship in power by his Holy Spirit. It was nothing you said, Richard. It was all what the word said. What a great relief. Huge relief. They don't remember what I say. They remember what the word says. Now, perhaps all this is new to you. Perhaps you're thinking, well, I don't have a peace that passes all understanding. I haven't actually ever looked at what the word says. It might be you've been coming to church for years and you don't think you've ever sat down and quietly gone through verse by verse what the book of John says. Perhaps that is you. Well, why not ask whoever brought you to church today or a member of the team here to buy you that cup of coffee? Don't commit to anything more. Just have one coffee and have a look at the first 18 verses of John. Because if it's the word of God, if it is the light of all mankind, then surely that's got to make sense. And by the way, I don't care how old you are sitting in here. If you're in a youth group today and you think, I've never looked, then go ask your youth group leader to sit you down and show you the word of God of god if you're retired and actually you've never really looked at the bible two women wrote to me the other day they're both in their 60s one had been going to church for ages they both had discovered a peace that passes all understanding because the woman who'd been going to church had never looked perhaps you wonder what is it that that martin prayed that is in in the booklets in the last of the books Well, I've got that prayer. I've got a copy of it printed off. If you just want to look at what would it look like to become a Christian, just come and ask or just take one off the table. Here is the prayer that's at the back of the books. But whatever you do, don't think that Christianity is just some religious crutch. Don't think that it's about you going out on some intellectual limb, as if God is pacing up and down this morning, going, If only someone would believe in me, otherwise I'm going to have to reach for the Valium. No, no, it's not about you. It's all about discovering the Creator of the universe loves you so much. He's given you His Word to understand and have a relationship with him that you are adopted into his family. Let me close by praying, and I'm going to pray using the words of John. In him is life, and that life is the light of all mankind. The light shines and the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you come to die and rise again for each one of us and for giving us the gift of your spirit to conduct your great commission, to take your word to the unique circle of friends that you've given each and every believer. Embolden us, Lord, to do just that. Or, if we don't know you yet... Well, then help us not to miss this opportunity to at least look into your word. Help us in our unbelief to see what you have to say for our lives as you express your love for us through your word. Amen. You know, there was a guy called David. He he said no to me three years in a row, once a year. And he said to me, Richard, I've heard about these word one-to-one notes. They're very good. I hear they're doing a lot of good. But it's not for me. He was in his garden on his knees and he suddenly realised as he was doing the weeding that he'd lost two friends to cancer, one friend to a heart attack and one friend to a brain aneurysm, all in a year. He was in his 60s. The world thought he got everything. And he suddenly realized, I don't have a thing. He walked into his office the next day and he went, you were right, I was wrong. I need to see what the word of God has to say to me. Now, he's truly wealthy because he's been adopted into God's family.